your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 10. Finish chapter 9. But I want to skip ahead this morning to verses 38 through 42. And with it being Mother's Day, focus on Mary and Martha here from the text. thought that would be a nice change of pace. And we'll go back to verse 1 next week. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's read. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. In this section of helping us understand Christian discipleship, you've provided great, great information here on our relationships with you and what they should look like. Lord, I pray you would help us to glean from this information and grow thereby. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this character study in Scripture, we find two women who are sisters And who both are in touch with Jesus. But I want you to notice that each has a distinct way of relating to him. Now if we're not careful, we make Martha wrong and Mary right here in this text. And depending upon how you are wired, you would say, well, I'm a lot like Martha. And then you'll just try really hard to be like Mary. And you'll never be fulfilled in your life that way. So I don't want you to take that away from the text here this morning. These are two different people with two different ways of relating to Jesus. He never says that either of them are completely wrong. The best instruction he does give in that regard is to Martha. And he says, you just need to add this one thing. Don't you wish that's what the the public opinion of you was? People would say, you're great, you're perfect. Just add this one thing and you'll, you'll have it whipped. Well, that's exactly what Jesus says to Martha here. They're both trying to honor Christ. They're both trying to honor God through their devotion to his son who is with them, Jesus Christ. And in this, we learn about our relationship with Jesus. We also learn more about the nature of God through his son and his dealings with Mary and Martha. In her book, Having a Merry Heart and a Martha World, Joanna Reaver says Mary's bent was to meander through life Pausing to smell the roses. you have any Mary people in here this morning? You just kind of... Good. Because <laughs> I'm Martha, so I'm, I'm really glad that there's none of you weirdos in here who live your life that way. She says, Martha was more likely to pick those roses, cut the stems at an angle, arrange them in a vase with baby's breath and ferns. Can Martha get an Amen. <laughs> We're all wired just a little bit differently. I think it's important for us to learn from others and add that to our faith. But mostly I think it's important that we make sure our relationship with Christ is how it should be. Both working and worshipful. Often if we're more Mary, we work, work, work and forget to worship our Martha. And if we're more Mary, we worship and we never seem to get around to the work. Phil Riken says, 
Mary served Jesus with her hands while, or Martha served Jesus with her hands while Mary served him with her mind and her heart. But both wanted to honor God with true devotion to Jesus Christ. So let's consider this morning, and those will be our two headings, Martha and Mary, while we learn more about our own relationship with Jesus. So we'll kind of break up the text here this morning instead of going sequentially as we typically do. Verse 38 and then verse 40 and 41 tell us about Martha. We begin in verse 38 as Martha receives Jesus into her house. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And and I love that phrase. There's, There's a later report of Jesus going back to their home. I believe it's in John 15. It might be John 12. And, and John records for us even then. He just says, all he says about Martha was, he says all of this was going on. These guys were doing this and Jesus was doing that. And then he just says, and Martha was serving. And this is what we read about her here. There was a certain woman named Martha who received him into her house. This is her. Jesus is in town and he will eat at her house. It's not a she would like for him to eat at her house or it would be a good idea that he ate at her house. Jesus is going to come to her house and sit at her table and she is going to serve him some food. She is responsible. She is always busy working. Martha is the one who will be there for the work when nobody else will show. And some of you already know as you think about Martha and Mary and this dinner and their home here. Just how busy Martha's mind is when she hears Jesus is coming to town. She's already planting mentally. Well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we have to buy this and we have to cut this. And we have to wash these things. And on and on and on it goes. Now, just to the contrast. How many of you kind of have those busy minds like that? Yeah, some of us. You can imagine. She's, I mean, Jesus isn't even there yet. I'm making this up. This is not in the scriptures. But I'm just thinking about us. She's planning he's going to come over and eat. And she's working all this over in her brain. And what's Mary doing? Not that. She, she hasn't thought twice about it. She's like, oh, cool, Jesus is coming? Well, maybe, maybe Mary didn't speak that way, but you get the idea. And we're going to get to her frust- Martha's frustration here in just a moment. But, but I want you to be thinking as we go through this that it probably didn't start in that moment... When she's serving and Mary's sitting and she says, Jesus, make her help me. It might have started days before. It might have started in their childhood. You know, Mary's sniffing the roses and pointing at the butterflies. And Martha's like, we're supposed to be raking the leaves or whatever they did in their days of childhood. I don't think it bothered Martha at all to host Jesus. I don't think she saw it as work. I mean, even if she saw it as work, it was fulfilling work. I think it would have bothered Martha to not host Jesus. I don't think it bothered her to feed him. I don't think it bothered her to clean up before he arrived, to set a nice table, to serve the meal with the proper dishes at the proper temperatures. And what what else did she need to be thinking about? What am I leaving out? All right, in my mind, some of you Marthas were going to be like this and this and this and you know, we'd laugh and just pretend like that happened in the sermon today. <laughs> Thanks, Preston. That's what deacons are for. See there? That's great. Good deacon. All of this is noble. All of this is right. In fact, this hospitality has become instruction to the New Testament church. We are to be practicing this. In fact, I, you could probably make the case that as much as the church is 
required to gather and worship were just as much. I want to say there's probably more instruction to be hospitable to one another in brotherly fellowship as Christians. I'll give you some proof text. Romans chapter 12. What do you know Romans 12 for? Who knows what verse is there that, that we like? I quote it once a month. Yeah, verse number one and verse number two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those verses, right? Well, in that same chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 through 13 says this. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And honor preferring one another. Now let's clarify brotherly love there. I have some brothers in my house. Jack, not Jack, one of my children, sorry buddy, one of my children can say the cruelest thing to their brother in the whole world, and it's okay because they're brothers, and brothers can say such things, but you even look at them cross-eyed, and they might punch you in the mouth. When Jack and Henry were young, we were at the YMCA in Lynchburg, Virginia, in the pool there, and... Jack was on this side of the pool, and Henry was on this side of the pool. And you guys think Jack and Henry now. Don't think like that. Jack was like four. He's about this tall. And Henry was about two, so he was about this tall. And so they were playing. There was other kids there. And, you know, little children, how they do. Like this one kid was wanting to get on this water thing before Henry. He just kind of pushed him out of the way, and off he went to that. And I wasn't there, but Shanae told me the story later. She said, from over on the other side of the pool, Jack, four-year-old Jack, makes a beeline and just Georgia football defense tackles this guy. You know, wham, takes him down in the pool. And I asked him later, I said, what made you do that? He says, my brother. I said, yeah, that's right. I said, keep doing it too. Brotherly affection is what Paul says here to the Romans. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love. Think about the room around you here this morning. Would you even go to bat for these people? Or there's somebody that you go to church with that you hope you don't bump into this morning, you don't have to talk to them. You see, we could talk about Mary Martha to her blue in the face, but till you and I realize that God has taken us from our blood family and put us into His family through the blood of Christ and made us brothers and sisters together in this thing, and this is the love we're supposed to have, the rest of this is kind of irrelevant. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. We are to hook arms. We're in this thing together. And so with that, we're to be kindly affectioned one to another brotherly love. I was giving Henry some instruction this morning. He's a second child. I'm a second child. Some events occurred in my home, and I said, just so you are clear what's happening here, I'm going to fix some family problems and preach you a sermon all at once. But I, I said to Henry, I said, you know, I had an older sister. And so I kind of know what you're, what you're dealing with there. As an adult, here's what I've come to understand versus my point being, your older siblings love you. They mean well, even if it didn't always come across that way. We don't all have to always be hunky-dory. We don't all have to be on exact great terms with each other. But when the rubber meets the road, you and I, as part of this local assembly of the body of Christ, have to show brotherly love toward one another. With that, he goes on to say, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. 
patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, and here's the one I want to get to, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. So we have New Testament instruction that toward these people that we are in this family situation with in the church, we're to be kindly affectionate to them. How? We distribute to their needs and we're to be given to be hospitable toward them. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. That's a hard one if you're not gifted with hospitality. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I don't know if you caught what just happened there theologically. If you're reading it along with me in your Bible, you might have. But let me say it to you backwards to make sure you understand exactly what Peter's writing to the church here. He's saying to them, serve one another being good stewards of something. What are we to be good stewards of? Our hospitality? No. He says, in doing this and serving each other, you're being good stewards, good supervisors, managers, caretakers of what? The manifold grace of God. Well, how in the world? I want to be a good steward of God's grace. Do you want to be a good steward of God's grace? Well, how are we to do this? Use hospitality to one another without grudging. That's not the only way. Avoiding sin is another way too. But in that thought, he's saying here, we are to be hospitable. Now, I make all that as simple proof text to Mary and Martha here that what Martha is doing is not wrong. Her busyness, her serving her good works, her good intentions. These things are right, and and it's how we should all be operating to a point. She was busy serving. Look at verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. If all we had was a portion of that verse, we could just move on, and that would be the end of the story. If all it said, but Martha was busy with much serving, we'd be fine. But it doesn't say that. It says she was cumbered. And then it says she comes to Jesus with something to say. But given just that first part of information there, I want to make the point that she wanted to use her gifting to serve the Son of God. Some of you are this way. You are a Martha. You like to be busy. You like to work. You like to go about things. This is great. We understand, and you need to understand that God made you this way to glorify Him through the things that you did. In this moment before Jesus, I think Martha wanted to shine. What are you if Jesus came to your house? I think she acted as we would, that service before Him deserved her absolute best. Now, that's the good part. The bad part comes... On this undue pressure she puts on herself. And then how she compares this against Mary who's not helping. Because verse 40 does tell us that she was troubled. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that Mary is not helping me serve you? In fact, she asks Jesus, will you make her come and help me? Many of you have been there. You are busy. You like what you're busy with, but you want help. You see fellow Christians that aren't helping. 
But they are not inclined to come help. They are busy with something that to you in that moment might even seem meaningless. When we find ourselves here, I think we can note some issues with Martha's attitude and compare them against our own so that we can learn how to handle ourselves in these situations. So we have this record from Luke that she was cumbered. Cumbered is the word. The Greek word is perispao, P-E-R-I-S-P-A-O. It's just directly translated distracted, but cumbered is probably a better word, though it's not a word that we often use in our English language. How many of you use the word cumbered in the last 20 years? It's, not a, it's like it's kind of a lost word. We don't know what it means, but let me tell you what it means. But I want you to think distracted. But it, but it actually means here anxious because of being overburdened by our distractions. You see how cumbered's a better word? That's a good word. Word of the week, cumbered. Anxious because we've become overburdened by our distractions. Have you ever been there? Have you ever put so much on yourself trying to be a Martha that you get overburdened, that overburden becomes more than that? It produces anxiety which leads to stress in your life. And you take it to the Lord in prayer because you're trusting and obeying and you're trying to be joyful. Joy, joyful. What was the other one? Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. I don't know how to work that one into that sentence, but I'll throw it out there. Those are the songs. Now, I want us to think, why would Luke say she's distracted here? I mean, if I'm reading this story, and I just go from 38 to 42, I have no other context about these people. I would say in this particular instance, Mary is distracted. Anybody anybody vote with me there? Martha's trying to get dinner on the table. There's dishes to be washed. I mean, me personally, it just kind of makes me cringe in my back a little thinking that Luke says that Martha's distracted and Mary's the one over there not helping. Well, Luke's record helps us clarify God's point of view a bit. Martha was distracted with serving because she was missing the teaching of Jesus. Jesus goes on to say about Mary, she's chosen the the better part. Well, which part? The worship over the work. Was the work unimportant? Not at all. Was the work unnecessary? No. It needed to be. It was important. It was noble. It was right. But not at the expense of missing the teaching and the presence of Jesus. Do you guys ever do this through a holiday? Christmas, Thanksgiving? You get so busy with the holiday that you miss the holiday. And it's, you know, for everybody else it's over. And for you it's like, okay, all the stuff is finally done. Now I can enjoy the holiday. And they're like, no, it's time to take down the tree or whatever it is. Martha was distracted. And I think she knows this. She, she says, Jesus, I want you to make Mary help. Why does she want Mary to help? Because I think she wants to get the work done so she can sit at Jesus' feet. Martha's not an unspiritual person. She's never presented that way in Scripture. She's spiritually minded. She understands who Jesus is. 
But in her way of thinking, this work has to be done before I can enjoy this worship. Just how she's made up. We could survey the audience, but I've already done it my limit this morning. I can't ask you to raise your hands anymore. I only have so many times I can do that. But we could survey the audience and say, how many of you can just straight up enjoy something while there's chores to be done? And some of you would raise your hands. And then some of you, I would say, how many of the chores have to be done before you could ever enjoy something? And some of you would raise your hands. And you know that about yourselves. You know about the people you're sitting in the pew with. That's how you are. This is Mary and Martha. Spurgeon comments on Martha. Her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. Her fault was that she grew cumbered with much serving. So that she forgot him and only remembered the service. This is a a, a fault of the church as a whole often. We've got so much to do. And we do have a great unfinished task before us as the church. But I promise you this, we're going to learn from Mary this morning, that until we worship at Jesus' feet, we'll never finish the task that Jesus has given us. No matter how hard we work, because it will be in the power of our own might and not led by His Holy Spirit. Well, what did this lead to for Martha? Her first mistake was being distracted. Allowing herself to become cumbered. And then that that led her to self-pity and resentment. Do you see this progression of down for her? She says, Jesus, make her help me. Her distraction from the word of Christ left her thinking about herself and her own condition. Now that's specifically what happened in Martha's life. But I point it at us as it's what will happen in our lives. When we are not letting him speak to us through his word, we'll become self-centered and self-focused to the point of getting full of self-pity and resentment. Martha had a woe is me point of view here. I don't think she always operated that way. I think she rarely operated this way. I think she typically just put her nose to the grindstone, did her job, did her work, and people just knew this was her and this is what she does. But here, she gets to this self-pity to the extent of she begins to mentally need to find a place for the blame. What is, what is going on? I've put on so many dinners in my life that I can't count them anymore. Why today am I so frustrated? What's the matter with me? And she sees Mary over there. And you just got to get Mary in your head here. She's down at Jesus' feet. She's sitting down there. She's happy. Got this big grin on her face. Well, think about how you'd be if Jesus was in your house. I got his autograph. It was Jesus. I mean, Mary's just taking it in. And Martha looks over there and she sees that. She goes from just distracted to self-pity. So she begins to place that on Mary in resentment. And you, you, some of you sit here and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Some of you sit here and you say, okay, fine, what's that got to do with me? Because I see you guys do this every Sunday. Some of you are not involved in Christian discipleship at all. You, you carry it in name only. You own a Bible. You're living for yourselves. I hate that. That's just the facts. Some of you are really trying. 
You're, you're trying to be a Christian. You're trying to win the lost. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're trying to be led of the Spirit. Trying to do what the Bible says and live it out in your life. You're, you're doing what it is that God has allowed you to do. You live where you live. You work where you work. You have the people that you have within your life. But in all of this, you see this as your purpose from God to do His will. That's discipleship. Now, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, that's what we've been talking about. It's what we are. We're His disciples. We should be doing this. But in that regard, we come in here and we meet together for worship. And I think somewhere in there, there's some pent-up self-pity and resentment. And we get together and it seems to just make it worse. And then the worship is just zero. In fact, you let that one zealous person, that one excited person, that one person who in the moment says, Ooh, I like that word in that song. And they say, and what do you say? Not out loud, but in your mind you begin to think, who do they think they are? Do they think they're better than me? Well, of course the preacher's doing that. He's the preacher. He's supposed to. He's on stage, and he needs to smile more. When my mother attended our church, that was her job. She would sit out there and look at me and go, and I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be smiling. Is your mind focused on worship? Or the busyness of your life? Is your mind focused on worship or, well, I'm here. How long is they going to go today? If they sing another verse of that song, I think I've just got to go to the bathroom because I'm sick of it. They've already sang four. Why did anybody write a hymn with five verses? You know how I know such things. Because I'm guilty of thinking such things. Why are we this way? We often self-justify our lack of worshiping, our lack of relating with Jesus in our lives on an intimate, individual level because we're busy. We're busy serving Him. We're busy doing Christian things. Including attending church. We know how to be good church attenders, but are we good Christians? Are we disciples? Where are we placing that blame? In her resentment, Martha self-righteously assumed that her sister ought to be serving Jesus the same way she was. Jesus, make her come do what I'm having to do. Now there's another thing we learn about God here. He's a big enough God that we can all fit under his tent. You can serve him your way and I can serve him my way and this guy can serve him his way and on and on and on it goes and we're all serving the Lord in our own distinct ways. But in the moment when you begin to get distracted and you have self-pity and then you begin to have resentment, you look around at everybody else and you say, they ought to be doing what I'm doing. I'll give you the flip side here. And any of you who raised your hand in church this morning, I'm sorry to be picking on you. I think I raised my hand once or twice. Y'all know what raising your hand means? It doesn't mean I've got to go to the bathroom during the song. It's a way to say amen. You're, you're singing. Well, we don't want to stop your beautiful singing. So you're singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And you think all our sins and griefs are bare. Well, I'm glad he bore my sins and griefs. So I want to shout amen right there. But I want to keep on singing. So I just shout with my hands. That's what we're doing. For some of you who didn't know. It's okay if you want to do that too. 
The way it goes, if you've never done it before, it's like a dinosaur to start with. T-Rex arm. But before long, watch out. You'll be the Hosanna lady at church. Yes, I was talking about you, Karen. If the shoe fits. I, I don't know how you need to worship, but I know you need to worship. And just as much as Martha's look at Mary worshiping and say, she needs to be doing what I'm doing, often a Mary can look at a Martha, who, a Mary worshiping, and say, they need to be doing what I'm doing. And I think they're both probably right. Mary self-righteously assumed this. She should be doing it the same way that I am. We do this too often in the modern church. So we must consider what is missing, what is causing this. Well, for sure, Mary was too stressed about earthly things. She was doing many things, the text says here. In reality, all of the things she was doing did not deserve all of the energy she was giving those things. I mean, what's Jesus' level of expectation here? Remember the verse from last week? Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. I don't really know where I'm going to sleep tonight. This is not a guy who cares if you got his name placed right at the table for dinner tonight. I'm sure he enjoyed eating because he was guilty. He was accused of the Pharisees of being a glutton and a drunkard. So any of you who are going to go home with mama today and have a big meal, well, you go right on and enjoy yourself. Because for sure it seems that our Savior was a celebrator in that way. He feasted with his friends. So I don't want to take that away from him. I just want to say... To the Marys in the crowd that often, sort of in the letter in the law, missing the spirit of the law, we've put all these things on ourselves that we just got to do for our God, that our God is saying, I wish you'd just stop doing all those things and speak to me. Mother's Day is actually a pretty good day to illustrate that. Children, do you know what your mother wants from you today? And I know, like... All of you with living parents is who I meant there. Not children, but like people with parents still alive. You know, I'm to the point in my life now where I can just like send mom something. I can afford it. I can buy it. I send it down there. It's already happened. She sent me a text. So impersonal. <laughs> Thanks. I'll enjoy this. And I said, love you. No punctuation. She said, you too. With a smiley face with a heart coming out of its mouth. Yeah. Mother's Day is conquered. <laughs> Truth be told, my wife bought it. My mom, or she sent it to my mom. I don't even know what it was. Are we live streaming? Gosh. Why am I admitting that publicly? Because I'm an idiot. Also because that's not what mom wants from me. Today, my mother expects me and all of my little minions to get on FaceTime, to call her up, and to let her look at us, and for us to smile and tell her something. And of all the things we'll say to her, she wants all of her 
sons and grandsons to say, we love you, nanny. This is what your heavenly father wants from you. Now, I'm not saying you can just stop work. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go after the lost. I'm not saying that the the church should not be actively be building. Not structures, I mean people. No, but we can't let that replace speaking to our father. Well, this is Mary. We get Mary in verse 39 and verse 42. Mary is just the opposite here. She's not focused on fulfilling the world's expectations. She's not focused on doing what is the societal norm. She is just focused on this is God in the flesh and he is in my house and I'm not moving. And I think in this way she also attended to Jesus. In fact, we find Mary in the Gospels three different times at the feet of Jesus, but in three different instances it's different. She, She does a different thing in a different way this is one of them. I'll give it to you this morning. You want to go do that study on your own. It's fun. You'd be, you'd, you'd be surprised what you find there about Mary. Verse 39, she sat and listened. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mary is not concerned with what she could do for Jesus. She's more concerned with what Jesus was going to do for her. In this instance, Jesus could teach her. In this instance, Jesus could draw her into a deeper relationship with himself. I want you to notice her posture before him. Luke records she sat at Jesus' feet. This shows the attention she's giving in this situation. It conveys to us the submission that she has to him. She's not standing to confront him on his doctrine. She's not lounging to have a friendly chat with Jesus. She sits ready to listen and to learn from him. She's ready to believe in him through the word. Verse 42, we find that Jesus says Mary chose the good part. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I won't get to this much as I go on, so I must hit it before I forget it. But in the it shall not be taken away from her, that brings into this the eternal value of what Mary is doing and getting. There's a lot of debate among scholars on what exactly is meant there, shall not be taken away from her. But I think as modern New Testament Christians, we can simply result in the fact that we have some things that will never be taken away from us, specifically the gospel, our relationship with Jesus Christ, peace with God, those types of things. There's much that we must be busy doing, but like Mary, we first need to sit at Jesus' feet and learn. How else do we think we can come to know his will for our serving if we've never worshipped at his feet and learned him and learned his will? Warren Wiersbe says, before we can represent Christ as we should or imitate him in our caring ministry... We must spend time with him and learn from him. We must take time to be holy. Philip Ryken writes here, While Martha was busy preparing a banquet, Mary was already having one. She was feasting on the word of Christ. Which is more important? What we do for Christ or what we do with Christ? 
I think if you will live life in the way Mary is living her life, you will find that while you're worried about what you're doing with Christ, you'll go ahead and be doing the things that you're doing for Christ. They'll just sort of naturally flow out of you. John 15, 5, the, the chapter about the vine and the branches is a good reminder for us here. John 15, 5 says, without me, Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Often we've got our baptismal certificate, got our Bible under our arms, and off we go in the Lord's army. But probably what we should do is spend some time at the feet of Jesus, worshiping and learning, getting to know Him. Boy, how do we, how do we mess up church? How do we mess up Christianity? How do we mess up Christian living? Well, we take all of these words and we attempt to live out everything that is said in here and hold ourselves and other people to these things without ever getting to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that these words are to elaborate to us in human form. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does that even mean? That's how we're to worship, right? What is biblical worship? Well, that's it. Worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Until we get to know this spirit, who God is, all we can ever do is focus on the truth. Well, if all we ever do is focus on the truth, it will lead to a dry, bland, over-ultra-orthodox Christian living. So Jesus doesn't so much rebuke Martha here as tell her to add something. And that's where we want to end today. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away. I want you to notice how he addresses her. He doesn't say, come on, Martha. She says, Lord, would you, would you, you see, she's not helping. Would you make her come help? And he says, Martha, Martha. Do you ever have a parent or a grandparent talk to you that way? What did it mean? What did it mean when they said your name twice like that? Well, you know what it meant when they said, well, for my mom, it was Chance Strickland. I knew what that meant. It meant I was getting it. And that didn't mean I was getting a birthday present. But when we address someone in this way, we are denoting intimacy. Martha, Martha. Sproul says it's one thing to address a person by their first name, but to repeat it is to use a Jewish form of affection and intimacy. So Jesus is not upset with her here. He wants her to grow. Mary is commended for her actions in this instance. Does that mean that she should never be busy working? Does that mean that we should never be busy working? Surely not. And we've seen some biblical New Testament proof texts to prove us otherwise. But it meant that in this brief time, these are Jesus' last days on earth, he would soon enough be gone and Mary wouldn't be able to sit at his feet. So what she's doing with herself and what she's doing with her time is what she needed to do. We confess the Christian Sabbath here this morning. This is in no way us saying, like the Jews honor the Saturday Sabbath, we should be doing that as Christians. But it is a way of saying that unless you are setting apart special time in your life 
to gather with other Christians and worship your God, you probably won't do that. And, and often we set aside the time and we show up and we still don't do that. So we, that's the part we've got to do, right? Why? Because it, it heals us. It rejuvenates us. It encourages us to go on. Mary is commended. Martha is not so much corrected. She just, just, you need to add this one thing. Is Martha wrong to be so busy? You know, Jesus never actually said that here. Maybe Luke does imply it a bit. Probably we are much more busy than Martha ever was. You, you can imagine. Be Martha for a moment in this story. What was she not busy with? She was busy with a lot of stuff. There are no screens. She didn't have any media to check. She wasn't worried about how she was going to vote in the next election. She, I mean, there are a lot of things in her life that we have in our lives that just weren't even a thing. And even then, what's her state of being? She's cumbered. So I do want to kind of let us off the hook here on one end. I don't think it's wrong to be busy about the Father's business. I think that type of business is good business. And, and that could be a lot of things. That could be your personal business that God has put you into. Your career, your job. That's okay. But I think on the other end of this, modern American Christians have filled ourselves up with temporal things that are not necessary business, busyness. And then just a lot of things that are just unnecessary. Now that kind of busyness is surely wrong. But Jesus never says it's wrong to be busy. In fact, Daryl Bach gives good clarification here. He says the choice Jesus discussed discuss with Martha is between something that is good and something that is better. You're faced with those decisions as well. And that's exactly where we find Martha here. He instructs her to add this one additional thing in life. This what Mary had chosen. It does become a thing for a choice in our lives so how we're going to live it. I read a neat story in this regard. And I might not get all the details right, but I can give you the gist of it. There was a, an older couple who were in a city. They last minute weren't going to be able to make their train, so they had to get a hotel room where all the hotels were booked. You know, they started where they wanted to stay. They, you know how you do You just kind of go downhill to where at least you can stay. You might not be where you want to be, but it's a bed. But even that place, the last place they went in the town, the poor guy behind the counter there, back in the days of the cards, you know. You know, you sign the card to go in. I never lived in that day, but I've seen the Andy Griffith show. Remember Barney would sign in as Barney Fife, M.D.? <laughs> Andy said, you're not a doctor. He said, it don't mean doctor. It means Mayberry deputy. <laughs> hey, you guys are back awake again. All I had to do was talk about Andy Griffith. So this, this couple, the guy's in there looking through the cards, and he says, I'm very sorry. It was late at night. They were tired. He was the night watchman at the hotel. He said, we, just, we don't have any more rooms. And they said, we didn't know what we were going to do. And he said, hey, I'll tell you what. He said, go up to the top floor. There's a small, basically a closet. That's where I sleep. There's a bed up there. It's not much, but you're welcome to sleep there. I'm working all night, so I'm not going to sleep in it till tomorrow. 
He said, if you've got nowhere else to go, go there. And they said, you know what, that'll work. So they go up, they make the best of it. The next morning down at breakfast, they call him over to the table there. He's getting off his night shift. They have coffee with him, and they said, you were so kind to us. He said, well, I hoped it was all right. And they said, yes, thank you so much. We didn't know what we were going to do. That just, it, was, it worked out. Come to find out, the couple that he had helped out, their last name was Aster. Did you ring a bell? This man goes on to create probably the first and one of the greatest ever world-class hotel chains in all of the world. And guess who becomes his managing partner in all of this? This overnight hotel clerk who gave him his bed. Now, that, that's not exactly the story that we have here. And I'm, I'm not meaning to promise that if you live like Martha and Mary and add the right things, that you'll manage hotels. I don't know that that's your dream. But it's a, it's a warm story about adding in that one part. Scott didn't have to give them his bed. He wasn't obligated. He didn't know them. He didn't even have to be nice to them. He could have just said, look, I don't have rooms. I don't know what you want me to do, but you can't stay here. Go on. He'd have been right and justified in doing that. And there may be times where you have to do that. But in this time, he decided, this is how I'm going to handle this. And in life, things generally go different for you when you're that way versus the other way. What do we say to the Marthas in the crowd here this morning? Don't be so busy that you're not living worshipfully. What does it look like to live worshipfully? I don't even know if that's a word, but I like it, worshipfully. It means that your whole life is living out the fruits of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Did I miss any kids? Kindness? Any more? You know the song too? No? Just know the fruits. <laughs> it's a good song. The fruit of the Spirit is not a turnip. Fruit of the Spirit is not a turnip. So if you don't want to be a turnip, you might as well hear it. You've got to have the fruit of the Spirit. Something like that. Does anybody know it? Want to sing it? Nope. Okay, no takers. Not even for your mother on Mother's Day? That's what it looks like to add this one thing to your life. What, what must we be careful of? Martha's, you should be careful trying to make everybody else a Martha. You, you ruin people's lives doing this. They're not wired like you. They love the Lord just as much as you. They love you just as much as they, you love them. But, but they love in a different way. They, they don't need to do things for God to enjoy what He's done for them. And I know what some of you just thought. They should be. We've got to be careful. I will be like the Old Testament saints who got so into that that they ended up with 661 laws. You've got to do this. Well, if you've got to do that, well, you've got to do that. What can you really do on that day? That's why I brought it up three times, the Christian Sabbath we confessed this morning. Because <laughs> some of you, you know... You can go to church, you can take a nap, you can eat your meal, and you can go back to church, and then you can go to bed. That's that. Well, I'm going to play some sports with my kids. I'm going to plant some flowers for my wife. I'm going to do a lot of other things today than that. 
I'm not even coming back to church tonight. Does that make us unholy? So we must avoid legalism on one end, and we must avoid laziness on the other end. And in the middle we find this balance. And what does that balance look like? It's a balance of being worshipful and working. That's Mary and Martha. J. Vernon McGee wrote this. He said, my frustrated, confused friend, are you at that corner of life where you don't know which way to turn? Then for goodness sake, sit down. Sit at Jesus' feet. Look into his word and see what he has to say. It will help you with your housework. It will make you a better dishwasher. It will help you sweep the floors cleaner. You will dig a better ditch, mow a better lawn, and study your lesson better. Your work at the office will be easier, and you will be able to drive your car better. Just take time to sit at Jesus' feet. Mary chose the best part. Now, I would illustrate that differently than J. Vernon McGee, but if you know J. Vernon McGee, that makes you smile. But he's right. Can you really dial into what this passage is teaching us about ourselves? And more so, can you dial into what this passage is teaching us about our God? We often speak of God as like all. We use the word omni to sound professional about it. It just means all. He's all sufficient. He's all knowing. He's all present. He's all powerful. Do you see how this passage just sort of illustrates just how all that God is? He doesn't need us both to be like Mary. He doesn't need us both to be like Martha, to be his. He is so all that he can relate to us both in spite of our differences. What a wonderful thought. So we learn this about him. And we have our relationship with him outside of being distractive, outside of being self-pitying, outside of being resentful, outside of being judgmental toward others. Charles Wesley perhaps mastered the text here best in his hymn. As he wrote, faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha hands and loving Mary's heart. Let us worship and work like Mary and Martha. Keep our eyes on Christ and serve others. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, we thank you that we're all uniquely made. Lord, help us with this to see that in this body of Christ that we call the church, some of us are hands while some of us are feet. Some of us are more like Mary and some of us are more like Martha. Lord, let us fulfill our role while finding that middle ground. Help us to be worshipful day in and day out while also not neglecting our work. Help us to be working while not neglecting our worship. Help us to learn that work can be worship, but so can rest. Father, thank you for these sisters. What a wonderful character study to consider how much like biblical people we really are. And how you love us, even in spite of ourselves. Bless this time now as we consider what we need to pray to you. How we need to respond and react to you in light of this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand with me and bow your heads? I'm going to take some time and respond to the word. I would say Mary and Martha had to know Jesus before they could ever have him to their house.